Okay, so tonight we're on part 11 of our study of the intermediate state. Um, we're looking at a question that's kind of rolls off the back of last week's um, and, the, and the week prior to that even. So this has been a couple sessions in the working or questions have been evolving out of, uh, particularly the session where we spent time looking at um, the martyrs and the 21 observations that we made out of that text as far as like what heaven now looks like. Um, and uh, last week we were looking at the uh, question surrounding whether or not uh, there might be a possibility that there are those in heaven now that intercede in some way on our behalf. We, we know for a fact that there is one, that being Jesus, who is in heaven now, who intercedes on our, our behalf. Um, but coming out of the observations that we made uh, from the text in Revelation regarding the martyrs and, and they're, they're seeming to be interceding on behalf of uh, those that uh, harmed them as well as those who were currently being harmed by the very same ones who were, who had, um, uh, whose actions had led to their deaths that had made them martyrs. Um, and then tonight, out of that, comes the, this idea of the potential, like if, like what does it mean if the martyrs and heaven or if anyone outside of those in heaven have some type of knowledge of the events of earth, right? And from that, the question that kind of arises um, is this one. So this is going to be the question that we're going to be looking at tonight. The underlying ideas that are in it are not new. Um, they're going to kind of be, um, we're going to address it in a little bit different way um, in hopes that Having addressed this underlying idea in one place already, so back in September of uh, 2023, we answered a question. The question was, will the knowledge of hell disrupt the joys of heaven? That, that has a, a, what we talked about in that particular session, and it's up on the podcast, so feel free to go back and re-listen to it if you weren't here or if you forgot what we talked about there. Um, go back and re-listen. A lot of the underlying ideas that came out in that are going to apply to, to tonight's question, um, but we're going to address the question in a little bit different way, um, hoping to kind of cement in this underlying idea of, the, of, of this hope that we have for a change in the way that we view everything that will occur by the working of Christ uh, in us, ultimately in uh, our glorification, uh, where the sanctification that's undergo that we're undergoing now in this life is finally completed, um, and we're formed into or formed conformed to the image of Christ finally and completely. Um, so the question for tonight. If those in heaven are aware of what is happening on earth, could they be truly happy and full of joy knowing the evil that exists? So last time we were thinking more towards kind of the, the long view of heaven and, and, and the long view of hell when we talked about the question of will the knowledge of hell disrupt the joys of heaven. And I wanted to address that early on in our study through uh, these, this topic of heaven generally, because I think that's one of the uh, foremost questions that comes up when we think about the eternal state um, of people, whether that be uh, in heaven or in hell. 
But tonight we're looking at it in a little bit more nuanced sense, and we're also looking at it um, in the time period between now and the resurrection. So we're looking at the intermediate, intermediate state and those who find themselves in heaven now, right? And out of some of the things that we've been looking at in the past, the idea has been floating around that um, it seems like it might be possible that there's some awareness on the part of those in heaven to the events that are going on on earth as we live them. And if that is the case, what does that mean, right? What does that mean? If there are those in heaven, the martyrs being a clear example of it, Christ also being a clear example of it because he is in heaven and he is well aware of what's going on here on earth today. But if there is that awareness, how does that influence your joy in heaven. And I specifically don't use the word happiness here because I feel like happiness is one expression of joy. And joy is the underlying thing that we're worried ultimately about there, right? Like it's one of those things that when we look later on at the fruit of the Spirit, joy is one of those things that should flow out of us in spite of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So I want us to concern ourselves primarily, not just about the happiness of those who are in heaven, but the joy of those who are in heaven. So the guardrail that I want us to put up just really quickly here, uh, if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. So anytime that we address this idea of knowledge of anything unholy while you are in heaven, whether it be in the intermediate state or whether it be in an eternal state, and and, in the eternal state, perhaps knowledge of those that you might love in hell, like how how then um, could you be happy Right. One of the verses that tends to come up a lot in this regard uh, is the verse that we're going to look at as a guardrail uh, now. So this this verse is Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look at verses three and four. So read with me. Uh, yes. Excuse me. Uh, somebody's got Toyota Sequoia headlights on. Toyota Sequoia headlights on. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'll start reading. And you read along with me, and then we'll kind of look at this and, and lay down uh, lay down a guardrail with this text. So, uh, verse 3, Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a great hope that is, right? We all look forward to that, right? When does that happen? This is the re- so I, so the guardrail that I want us to 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 put down here is understanding when this event takes place. It's coinciding with the death of death itself, 
Right? So when we take this text and we apply it, the wiping away of tears particularly, has that moment happened yet? No. So this text can't be retroactively applied to those believers who are in heaven now. Because this wiping away of tears is a thing that's happening at the resurrection. Right? So that's the guardrail that I want us to apply here. We can use this text in the future when we look at it specifically when we're looking at our eternal hope in the resurrected state. Right? We're not going to take this text and apply it backwards to the state of affairs of those who are in heaven now. Y'all with me? Y'all follow me on why? Because this text is speaking to, like it coincides with, death shall be no more. Right? And as we all are well aware, death is still. Right? So this text, the guardrail, do not apply it, uh, or do not, ap- do not apply it strictly and dogmatically when you're concerning yourself with the intermediate state, right? Now, does it have anything to speak towards that? Certainly, because it speaks towards God's character, God's character towards His people, God's ultimate goal for the condition of His people. But uh, strictly speaking, this text does not speak directly to uh, the intermediate state, it speaks to that transitional moment between the intermediate state and our eternity as resurrected beings um, in the new heavens and the new earth. So, tonight, let me just read the question one more time that we're going to be addressing, and then I'm going to lay out uh, four points and a conclusion that I'm going to try to walk us through with Scripture uh, a long way. So, if those in heaven now are aware of what is happening on earth, could they be truly happy and full of joy knowing the evil that exists now, right? Like if there is some awareness, could they be happy? How should we think about this? And I think this one of the reasons that I mentioned that this is not the first time that we've covered this underlying idea is because the way that we're going to approach answering this one is the same way that we approached answering the understand like the idea that it may be the case that you know someone who is not saved and that is their eternal state and you find yourself in heaven after the resurrection right how could that knowledge remain in you and you still be full of joy for all of eternity that is one of the reasons that we address that up front is because there's something fundamental about that that is difficult. That we oftentimes, like, one of the easy, like, I, I would just call it a cop-out, is you just say that we're just not going to remember anything about this life. And if I don't remember anything of this life, then if someone that I love doesn't make it, then I'll be happy because um, ignorance is bliss, is the way that we approach that, right? Right? And when we do that, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater in a lot of ways because like, if, if he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and we're going to worship him from eternity to eternity, 
as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, we're not going to find ourselves at some point in eternity looking to one another and being like, now, what does it mean when, what do we mean when we say He was slain? Like, you will know why He was slain. So, throwing out knowledge of this life is not the approach that we should take. What we should take, and what I hope that came out that time, and what I hope comes out as we explore it uh, again as we address this particular question is, we need to understand that there's going to be a fundamental shift to the way that we think that will change. I'm not telling you that tonight we're going to leave and you're going to know all of the like little points and how it changed. But I'm going to show you some truths from Scripture that anchor us in an understanding that it will. Right? How does that happen? Miraculous is all I can conceive of in my mind. Right? But it... Yes? So that's where we're applying it tonight. Yes. Can, can someone... And I'm, I'm not saying that we do have knowledge, right? I'm, not say, I'm saying that Christ does most certainly. I'm saying that the martyrs clearly had an understanding. And beyond that, it, we're, we're beginning to extrapolate to the rest. I, but even here on earth, we can have joy still in our faith. Yes, yes. This is a, th- yes, this is, and I think this is an important place for us to, to kind of think about this. And oftentimes when I'm trying to describe this, like the eternal view of this, I'll start with like small like examples that we can understand and that, we, that we're like, yeah, I see that. Oftentimes we'll say, yeah, I see that, but wouldn't he just do it better? It's, it's, we jump to that conclusion, right? Um, so like one of the ways that like, and this is... Uh, uh, I'll use an extreme example for the sake of making an example. Um, How many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have ever enjoyed a day or a moment in time that was just like, in your mind, you were like, this is as close as heaven can get to earth, right? Like, I, I would venture to guess that most of us have experienced moments in life that we would look back to and we would say those moments were absolutely, like, good moments, right? But then, if I, if I hold you on that for a moment, I say, hold on now. Now, while you were having your good moment, there were those that were starving to death today. Right? Like perhaps today is that day for you. There were some people who died today. Do you know that? There were people who died today. There were people who starved to death today. There were people whose death was preceded by suffering today. And yet you found yourself in a moment of joy on a day that it was not the case for someone else. And yet you still found yourself in a moment of joy. And had you been pushed in that very moment of bliss... To answer the question, do you realize that there are people that don't have it as good as you in this moment? Your answer would have been an immediate, yeah, I know that. And yet it didn't hinder you in that moment from enjoying that moment. Right? Nor should it. Right? Nor should it. Now, take that idea and press it forward. And we're going to think about specifically... The one who has knowledge of all evil and simultaneously is the epitome of joy. 
And we're going to see how Scripture points that we as believers are being conformed to His image. And we're going to come to the conclusion then, if He can be completely omniscient, and that we'll talk about what that means in a bit, and then simultaneously completely full of joy. Like, it is from Him that our joy ultimately comes. If those two realities, knowledge of evil and simultaneously joy, can exist in the person of Christ, and we are told that we're being conformed to that, then we could come to the conclusion that when we think like He thinks, when we understand the world like He understands the world, then this that we see is such a big problem won't be a, won't be a problem then. Right, So that's kind of the approach that we're going to take. So um, if those in heaven are aware of what's happening on earth, could they be truly happy and full of joy knowing the evil that exists? And I would say Jesus most certainly does. Right, That's a kind of a quick and easy answer. And if we're going to be conformed into an image like his, then we will as well. So I'm going to give you four uh, premises premises that we're going to explore here, and then I'm going to give you a conclusion that we're going to try to uh, to approach tonight, and then we're going to work towards that. So we'll work towards it fairly quickly, so uh, let's jump on in. So the first premise here, Christ is eternally aware, aware of evil by his nature. That is, he is omniscient. The second premise, Christ is eternally full of joy by his nature. The third premise, every Christian has been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the third premise. The fourth premise, conformity to the image of Christ assures us that we have the mind of Christ. And then the conclusion that we will draw. Therefore, those who have been conformed to the image of Christ will not have their joy diminished by any knowledge of evil. Right? You know, with me, we're going to walk through those one at a time, looking at Scripture along the way. Um, so kind of to play off of a place that Dustin has recently touched on, and this will be where we, where we start dipping our toes into this first idea. We're going to be looking at John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. And if you've been paying attention on Sunday mornings, this will not be a new text for us, so we won't uh, go too deep into it. I would refer you back to Dustin's session on it specifically. Um, and then we're just going to kind of use this as a building as a building and jumping off point for tonight. So John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what is in man. Right? So does he know you fully and completely? Is there any question about His knowledge of you? No. When did that knowledge come to be? Did, did, did He like learn about it when you did it? His knowledge predates even His creation of time and space itself. Right? Revelation 14 is where we're going to look at next. Similar similar idea, uh, more pointed. 
um, in regards to the knowledge of evil and the, and the torment of those who have done evil is what we'll find in this text. So Revelation 14, verses 9 through 11. Revelation 14, starting in verse 9. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he also will drink of the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast in its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So not only does Christ know the heart of man, but will witness the torment of those who've rejected him. Now, I want, us, I, I, I want us to think about Christ's knowledge, Christ's omniscience, and so that we don't dwell too long on this particular one, I've, got a, I've, got, I've kind of written down my thoughts about these verses. right? So I'm going to read them just for the sake of time here. So Christ, being God, is omniscient. Christ knows all things and has eternally held this knowledge in His divine nature. Before he made the first move to bring about his creation, he had full knowledge of all evil for all time. So great is the knowledge of Christ that he is even aware of all evil that would have been in all worlds that he could have chosen to create. Christ's knowledge of evil is exhaustive. There is nothing that escapes his knowledge in regards to evil. Nothing. So much that he could say within Scripture that if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen what you'd seen, they would have repented a long time ago. Like he knows what people would have done given different circumstances. That's how exhaustive his knowledge is. It lacks in no way. And there will be no point in which that knowledge diminishes. That is the nature of being omniscient. He knew it before it was and will know it long after it was. And yet, simultaneously, he is full of joy. So that's the second point that we're going to look at here. And I want us to look at this. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And I selected this verse to kind of bring this out because it's going to help transition us into the way that I want us to start thinking about how we think and how, how our thoughts are being conformed ultimately into alignment uh, or into conformity with his thoughts. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 is where we're going to start reading here. This is the fruit of the Spirit. We'll read 22 and 23. So Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's next? Joy. Where do you find your joy? What is your ultimate source? from, From where does it spring up within you? The Spirit. All right? The Holy Spirit being God produces fruit in the life of a believer that it is in 
conformity to the nature or that is being conformed to the nature and character of God. Now, Christ being God is complete in all of these qualities. So any of these elements that we could look at here, any of these components of the fruit of the Spirit here, Christ Himself is perfect and complete and lacking in none of them. Like there's nothing in Him that lacks. He is perfect and complete in joy. You are being worked towards that, believer. Right? This fruit is being born in your life and as you live and as the Holy Spirit works in you and sanctifies you, more and more this fruit's displayed in your life. Ultimately, this fruit will be completely conformed for you. That is a promise that we have. We're going to look at that in the next piece of this puzzle that we're working on tonight. So every Christian has been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the language that we're going to see in Romans chapter 8. So if you'll look with me in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30 is where we're going to be looking here. So just kind of for review, while you're flipping to Romans chapter 8, um, we've looked at Christ being eternally aware of evil by His nature. We've looked at Christ being eternally full of joy by His nature. We've looked, we're, we're going to look now uh, at us as believers being conformed into the image of Christ. And by way of that, our minds being conformed to the mind of Christ so that we think in alignment to the way that He thinks, right? That's ultimately the, like, the hope that we have for being able to answer this question. Is that if He can hold both of those realities, the knowledge of evil as well as complete and ultimate joy, if He can, and He promises to conform us to be like Him, then we have a hope that we will, even though we don't see how we're going to get there, perhaps. right? We can hope that we will, even if we don't know all of the moving parts and how that will be brought to be a complete work. right? So Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30 is where we're going to look at this hope that we have to be conformed to the image of Christ. So Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. I want us, when we think about that text, to think about the... Like a lot of times we will read predestined and then we get stuck on that. Because that's a, like a deep theological idea that like... We wrestle with sometimes, but what I want us to, to do is I want us to see what the end of that predestinating work is, because it is a great hope for us. He also predest he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Like ultimately, you as a believer will have your thoughts, your desires conformed. To the image of Christ. So that what Christ would desire, you will desire. The way that Christ would think about a thing, you would think in conformity to that. 
Now, that can be hard for us to wrestle with because oftentimes we find ourselves in that tension, that real tension of he thinks this way and I think this way. And that's where our conflict lies oftentimes. Right. But we have a hope as a believer that's anchored in God, not us, that one day you will, even if you don't know how you will, you will be conformed to the image of Christ. And as a result, your thoughts, your mind will be conformed. And that's the that's the last point that we're going to make before we kind of come to a conclusion uh, on the way that we think about this this question here tonight. We're going to look at this, and there's lots of places that you could look to find this. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is where we're going to look uh, tonight. So if you would, be turning to Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. So this last premise that we're putting forward is that conformity to the image of Christ assures us that we have the mind of Christ. So we will have the mind of Christ. We will think like he thinks. That's what we that's what we what I mean to say when I say that you'll have the mind of Christ is not that you will know everything, but that the things that you know will be aligned to truth. Right? And that, that your desires will stem forth from that. So um, as I say this, so the, the step that we're taking from the promise that we see in Romans chapter 8, and now um, we think, we're thinking about the ends of this promise and how it will conform the way that we think, I want to I make this step because what I believe, if you examine the New Testament, like as the gospel is proclaimed, as as people come to faith in the gospel, what you will see time and time and time again, not just here in Romans chapter 12, but throughout the New Testament, you see this idea of conforming your mind, like this renewing of your mind. You are called to renew your mind, right? Like this is something that like as a believer, like it's important to God that you think well, that you use the brain that he's given you to think about him, to concern yourself with his thoughts and his desires. And throughout the New Testament, he calls us to transform our thinking, to renew our minds. And if he's doing that, if he's calling us to this, to, to partake even now in this transformative process, as a believer, we call this sanctification. You are being sanctified. You're being brought, even now, into conformity with Christ. Ultimately, you hope, and you can hold to this hope, because He's made promises that He'll complete it. But along, that, along with that process, if we look at the New Testament and we see these Hence, towards renewing the mind, what can we hope for when all is said and done? Will your mind fail to be renewed? Will he conform everything else except for your thoughts? Obviously not, right? Obviously not. So that's, that's why we're thinking about this here. So as the gospel has been laid out in the book of Romans, and now we're transitioning uh, here in chapter 12 of the book of Romans from like... Uh, 11 chapters of just deep theological digging in. 
now to practical ways that you'll live throughout the end, the rest of the book of Romans. This is a, a, a pivoting from here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, if he will ultimately complete this work of renewal, if ultimately we will think as he thinks, when does that happen? When does that happen? When will this, when will this work of renewal for you be complete? Should you think about this? Is this a, I want us to think, is this a happens at the resurrection? So here's what I will, here's what I will tell you is that everyone who's thought deeply about this and is also in line with Christian doctrine through, throughout the history of the church says this, uh, this happens at the moment of death, that your character is conformed at death. Right. That you are brought into alignment at death. So that those martyrs who are in heaven, they don't think like you and I. Right. So that the ones who you love, who have gone on to be in heaven, don't think like you and I. Because we're still working on our minds and our thoughts being renewed. At death, Christ does a miraculous work of closing the gap. So that those who are in heaven have been conformed to the image of Christ in their character. Right. So if this conformity has indeed taken place for those who are in heaven. Then they would think in the way that Christ would think they would look at. The knowledge that they may or may not have. And it would fully, their response to all knowledge would fully conform to the way that Christ would think about those things. So, uh, the conclusion, therefore those who have been conformed to the image of Christ, that is those who are in heaven now, in the intermediate state now, will not have their joy diminished by any knowledge of evil. They will be Completely full of joy. So if each of the premises of this argument are true, then we can conclude that when we are conformed to the image of Christ and our thoughts are brought into conformity with his thoughts, then just as he can have joy, we can have joy. We can trust that in have that heaven will in no way be diminished by the knowledge of evil and there and there we will understand more fully what it means when he tells us all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All right. So in conclusion, just to summarize this and then we'll close it up. The question, I'm going to restate it. If those in heaven are aware of what is happening on earth, 
Could they be truly happy and full of joy even in the face of the knowledge of the evil that exists? Like, are the martyrs that are under the throne there in Revelation full of joy? Yes. They are full of joy and they are eagerly awaiting God's completion of His work. Is Christ full of joy? If you say anything other than yes, most definitely, then you have no understanding of what joy is and where joy comes from. So, tonight we've looked at four ideas and one conclusion. I'm going to restate those in case you got lost along the way, and I hope that you didn't. Um, Feel free to ask me questions afterwards if you did. Uh, One, Christ is eternally aware of evil by his very nature. Two, Christ is eternally full of joy by his very nature. Three, every Christian has been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Four, conformity to the image of Christ assures us that we will have the mind of Christ. And in conclusion, therefore, those who have been conformed to the image of Christ will not have their joy diminished by any knowledge of evil. This applies in the intermediate state today. This applies eternally. That your joy being sourced from Christ cannot be diminished by any amount of knowledge of evil or the punishment of those who are in hell. And as I say that, I realize that we can't fathom how that would be. You couldn't fathom for the life of you how it might be possible that you could enjoy Him forever when someone you love now does not love Him. And perhaps never will. We will see something in His face. That will change us for all eternity. He will do a work in us that will change us for all of eternity. And we have him and him alone to to thank for that.